Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Douglas Ward. Doug is a retired military veteran. Doug, thank you for your service. Thank you. You were worth it. I always want to start with that because freedom is not free. And you know that. True. True statement. A lot of the men and women that worked with you in in defending and protecting our freedoms. um, Heartfelt gratitudes. Thank you so much for your service. You're welcome. Doug, you had an opportunity to learn some things. Um, 24 years of service in the military, and you got involved in in special operations and and particularly communication. Um, It was interesting to read a little bit about you and what you've done in your career. Um, Non-standard is a word that comes up. Um, Austere environments. Uh, You learn to implement communications in contexts that most of us don't have to deal with, but that are totally relevant to a lot of the ones that we do. Tell us a little bit, Doug, about your experience, where you're coming from and why you know what you know. You know, I think the military um, gave me a broad knowledge. And one of the great things about the military, when you first join the military, you're kind of a worker bee your follower. Mm. And then it starts shaking out even at a young age, you know, at 20 years old is when I had my first leadership position. And you are basically starting to be groomed to move up through the ranks within the military. And and a lot of it's based on, do you have the skills obviously in your job, Mm -hmm. but also being able to get out there and motivate and take care of people. Can you do those things while also, you know, being kind of a subject matter expert at a point. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get higher up through the, you know, the uh, military, what ends up happening is as you get in the management, you kind of get pulled a little bit away from being that subject matter expert all the time, which kind of hurts some of the, I don't want to say hurts it. It irritates some of the guys when they have to move into the management because, you know, you, you fall so in love with the mission and what you were doing but then you transition into a more senior leadership role as a manager, junior executive. And those things were great because as you grow, you grow as a person. And I think yeah. that's really huge, especially when you're dealing with other people, you're grooming them and you're watching other people expand and advance up the ranks too. You know, right. you're a mentor. You become a mentor also. That's one of the biggest things. Yes. It's interesting to me, Doug, that the military environment mirrors a lot of what we experience in the corporate world, for example. Yes. Or, or even in families or communities, because it's, it's true. We go through this journey of learning, growth, development, 
And as we master certain skill sets or knowledge bases, it puts us in a position where we now have leadership or influence with other people. And, and that was true for you as you went through your military career. Yeah, that was uh, one of the biggest things is also building the relationships. Yeah. Some of the people that I would work with, you know, when I was in the managerial area, we all used to meet up once a week, maybe grab a beer, lunch, but we would all talk with amongst each other. We compared notes. That's was that was one of the great things. The guys that did not, or the gals that did not become some of the, the really good leaders they should have been, it's because they weren't talking, they weren't comparing notes. Maybe there were some egos involved. Um, I see a lot of that in companies nowadays where mm-hmm. the managers, sometimes all the way up into the corporate suite, they're not good mentors and they're not good leaders. They don't delegate. And if you want to, if you don't delegate and give trust to your workers, some people say, well, I can't trust them. Well, if you can't trust them, why, why do you even have them there? You know, and oh, well, I, yeah, I gave, yeah, ex- exactly. I gave them a task to do and it wasn't done correctly. Well, do they feel they can come and talk to you? Were they trained to do it? There's a lot of things like that. I went through, um, when I was a troop chief, we were starting up a new capability. And as I was doing that, I was the only one in charge. So imagine a company, you got the CFO, you got the CIO, you got all these different positions in a company. Well, because I was the new guy taking over in a lot of those spots, I was actually filling all of them. So I brought in some guys that I'd worked with before in special operations, you know, doing communications. I recruited them to come and help. I said, Hey, I, I need some help. Problem was once I got them there and this was a wake up call for me. And one of the biggest learning lessons was I have to delegate to them. And what happened was one day we finally had a meeting. They'd been there for, I don't know, about two months mm-hmm. and guys were getting a little upset. And I didn't really know that because it wasn't evident to me, but it was when we got in the office, we had a meeting one day behind closed doors and everyone just unloaded on me. You know, there were some swear yeah. words. There were some swear words, you know, some F-bombs dropped, things like that. It was, it was shocking for me. It, it, it kind of hit my ego a little bit because I thought everything was going great. What I did was I stepped back. We eventually all went to lunch. And then I said, okay, we've got this division. We've got this division. And I took those three guys and I said, run with it. If you have questions, then come talk to me. If there's things you need to know, ask me. There's no stupid question. Mm -hmm. You've got my complete trust. Just make sure if there's something going on and you don't know the answer to it before it becomes a problem and gets out of control, come back and talk to me. And that's how you have to lead. You have to be able to delegate to your people. If you're not delegating to your people, they're not going to trust you and you're not going to trust them. And that's where the problems, and I see it all the time. I could leave my house right now and go to a gas station. I could go to a department store. I could go to a business. And you, a lot of times when you walk in, you can kind of tell the mood of the employees. Oh, yes. And yes. A lot of people, they don't want to take that time. Sometimes I think it's uh, just a lack of compassion. Compassion, yes. And, and humility, I think. Yes, very much so. As you were painting this scenario, Doug, I was thinking about how a typical response might be 
defensiveness, where the leader takes kind of digs in their heels, you know, and says, well, or try to blame the employees or the, the people that are working under them for, for the mismatch or for the, the lack of progress moving forward. The way you described it, it's a much more humble, hey, I'm open. Uh, come to me. Talk to me. And you can't just say it. They have to be able to feel that you really are open to that communication. Correct. For example, if I said to you, uh, say the stress level is going up, so we have to meet product, uh, production deadlines within a company, mm-hmm. and we're not meeting the production, Guy, people are starting to have to work overtime. You're trying to figure out how are we going to meet these deadlines? Mm-hmm. Well, here's a key thing. If the, if the pressure's coming up, the workers are feeling the pressure, have a meeting, lay out to your people. You know, your team, I like, I like to say your people, I like to say your team, laid out to them, what ideas do you have? If you've built that trust and you get those ideas out of them and then take action on them, now you've increased your productivity and your, your profitability. The thing is, you have to have that trust. You have to have that trust built in because then you can freely ask their ideas. And Wait, Doug. We're glossing over something here. <laughs> you, when you said when the pressure goes up, okay, you've yeah. been involved. You've been, you worked with special forces for Pete's sake. Correct. Right? Do you know anything about pressure going up? Just a little bit. About tension, about high conflict, about, I just wanted to come back to that. Because your experience is coming from some pretty intense stuff. Now, and I don't know how much or how little you want to share about that, but can you just speak to that for just a moment? Why you know this? When I was deployed, so my first major deployment, I did a lot of training deployments. When I started, when I started in the military, I started in the Marines and I went to Desert Storm. And there was a lot of pressure with that. Yeah. But it was really the pressure when it amped up was when I was in Afghanistan and Iraq. And sometimes you might be the only communicator that would go out with a certain group of guys and everything fell on you. So you had to be able to pick up the phone and call people um, or reach out via maybe a chat program, something to one of the other guys on the team that that was their strength, that type of communication system or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Like you might know it, but you're not the subject matter expert on it. Or like the, you know, the guy that really, that's his mm-hmm. baby. When I was in with the trust issue and, and, and building that trust and, and be able to talk to people when the stress went up, you know, how are you going to step up with your team? Are you going to get those ideas and try to find better ways to do things? Because everyone I served with, when we were in Iraq and Afghanistan, we were always looking for better ways to do things. And if somebody had a better way that was going to increase our productivity and have a, a better effect on the mission, we took that on board and then we ran with it. You know, a story uh, I had, and you know, some of my buddies remember this and we, we talk about it and the guy this actually happened to, he was my boss at the time. We were in Iraq and we had 24 hours to set up a communication center. So they flew in CBs, and all these people, and we were in an old palace. 
And as we were setting this up and we knew it was going to be a tough challenge. We hadn't slept for three days prior because mm. we were getting a whole bunch of stuff prep, you know, prepared as we went into this, we didn't make the 24 hour timeline. And the commander was very specific. He wanted it done in 24 hours. We got it done in 37 hours. And we were enlisting help from the Rangers. Uh, there was a couple of Air Force guys. There were officers that were helping us. We finally got done. And we, we were very proud of what we did. It was three guys that were, was able to get this done. My supervisor at the time, him and I, we're getting along. It was a kind of love hate relationship. <laughs> mm. And there was times, uh, I wanted to take him out to the woodshed. Yeah. But you know, I didn't do that. Um, we accomplished the mission, but because we didn't meet the timeline, he was, was actually, they were thinking about sending him back to the United States. Wow. Which in special operations, like if you're in a regular military unit, they might just send you somewhere else. You're not going home. You're going to stay there. Yeah. Whereas in special operations, a lot of times they will say, hey, you know what? You didn't meet the requirement. You're not living up to the standards. We're getting you out of here. Mm -hmm. So he was under the impression he was going to be going home. Wow. And I, I felt bad for him. My other uh, compadre, Chris, he, you know, we felt really bad. And that night, once we started uh, operations back up and doing missions, I was sitting on the radio headset near the commander. And at the time, my, my nickname was Danger. So mm -hmm. it was Danger Doug. <laughs> and he just looks over and he's like, Danger, what do you think of your command, uh, your chief? And right then, I kind of paused because I knew, how do I answer this? He's asking uh -huh. me, what uh -huh. do I think? Now, none of us had slept for, by the time it was all done, for five days. And I'm thinking to myself, Wow. And I told him he's a good man, sir. We wow. haven't slept. I said, if there's anything he needs right now is sleep. I said, we have given everything we have. I'm tired. I said, but what he needs is rest and sleep. Mm -hmm. I said, nobody else, none of the other communicators that I know of, if you, you put three communicators together, could have done what we did. Yeah. We didn't make the timeline, but you know what? We gave it 110%. And yeah. if you send him home, you're not just ruining a good man, you're ruining a good sailor and his family. And he just kind of looked at me and said, uh, duly noted. And he turned around his chair, and that's the last we talked about it. The next day, so Tony, the chief, was sent to get some sleep. Um, he finally woke up after like 16 hours. You know, he was just exhausted. Myself yeah. and uh, the other guy ran, ran everything. Uh, when he came out, he asked me to go for a walk. And when we went for that walk, he said, what did you say to the commander? I just had a meeting with him. I said, you had another one? And he said, yeah, what did you say to him? Paul, I said to him what I just told you. I told the commander, you know, I don't, yeah. just didn't think it was right to send you home. You know, you, you've given 110%. I know you and I don't get along, but it's the wrong thing to do. And he just broke down crying. Wow. And he said, you just saved my career. I don't know what you said. And I know you probably said more. You know, he, he thought I maybe yeah. said some more stuff. And I just said, no. I said, I would want people to do that for me if right. I was a supervisor. Which is a good point to pay attention to. I love so many things about 
what you just shared, Doug, about erring on the side of compassion and taking that human element into consideration. As we come back from this break, Doug, I'd like to get into some of the principles that you've identified through your rich experience that we might be able to apply in our own communications. Folks, this is Douglas Ward at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your positivity to a whole new level? I've been enjoying these conversations with my guests at Live On Purpose Radio. My own story about becoming more positive is something that I've shared in my book, Pathological Positivity. And right now I'm giving the book away. You just pay for the shipping. Go to drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, and click on the big orange button right there that will get you a free copy of my book. You pay the shipping, I'll pay for the book. Sound like a good deal? Power up your positivity and get ready to see phenomenal changes in your happiness, your relationships, your business, every aspect of life. Enjoy this free gift from me. DrPaulJenkins.com. And we're back. Douglas Ward at Live On Purpose Radio today. 24-year military veteran, special forces communications specialist. Um, Doug, you've learned a lot. And as, as you're sharing your experience with us here today, I would love to to find what some of those core principles are that you learned and maybe the practical application that we can take to the things that we're dealing with. We're not in, in war-torn Afghanistan or Iraq or Desert Storm like you were. Um, how does this apply in in the real world back home? Talk to us about what you've learned about that. Maybe some of the the take homes. A lot of times you have to have a uh, mental courage, not a mm. physical courage, but a mental courage. Uh, when you're dealing, you know, even with your family, sometimes there's things, decisions you don't want to have to make. Uh, you don't want to be uh, maybe disciplinarian at at a certain day. Maybe the whole day's been going good, and something goes a little sideways. And it's the same thing with your workforce. You know, when you're a leader, you know, just because you're a leader at work, if you have a family, you're still coming home. If you have children, right? there's a lot of things that <clears throat> transfer back and forth, you know, from the military to the civilian world, to your family, you have to have a mental courage to make those right decisions on a consistent basis. You can't have one completely off. And then you go to work and you're completely different. I think that's where a lot of people have problems as they don't know how to just keep a steady personality. I'm not saying be the boss at work and then come home and treat your family. Be the boss. And it, because a lot of times, you know, my wife used to say to me when I would come home, I'd be wearing my chief's anchors uh-huh. and I, I would come walking up the door and she's like, okay, hey, dinner's ready. Take those anchors off. You're not the chief now. <laughs> You know, uh, and, and, and that was always a good one, but I think you have to, one of the big things is you have to teach people when I go out and talk to people, you know, you have to have a mental courage and that mental courage is, is doing the right thing, not showing favoritism, 
going into your workers and establishing that trust. I could sit here and you and I could go out and grab a beer. And there's another person that we work with that I don't go drink beers with, but I have to still have that same professional relationship with them and respect their expertise and their job. Some people and a lot in a lot of companies I've seen, you know, there's that's also that problem of, I guess you could call it the, the favoritism mm. where they're not recognizing everybody on an equal plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all are human, but you have to be able to step back and look at things because this person is contributing to your company. Right. This person is contributing to your workforce. You know, what, how are you going to uh, apply that? And some people have problems with that because they don't like to be around people. Maybe they don't, Maybe they still have an immature attitude. I don't like the way they dress or I don't like the way they you know, look. You have to look beyond that. You have to look what's inside their head. Think about this. You have a, and the other thing I try to tell people when I go in, and this is a, and I, I love this analogy. I, I thought about one day and my buddies were laughing. They said, that was like, perfect. When you go into your workplace, you have, a, imagine you have a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. All those books are your employees. Yeah. You don't, if you're the CEO, depending on the size of your company, you don't need to know every book. You're not going to read it from the front all the way to the back, but have a general understanding of what that book's about and the summary and the lessons learned. Those so are your employees. You want to know what's on your shelf, but you don't have to be the expert on everything because you've got experts. Correct. And the other thing is I try to tell owners of companies, CEOs, the VPs, listen, you're your lower line supervisors and managers, they're the actual leadership in your company. They are the actual leadership in your company. You're just steering the ship. What happens in companies, the people that are working, say you're on, like I said, a production floor or you're providing a service. Those people that are doing that, it could be like it is 20 degrees where you're at and people don't want to go out and do it mm-hmm. or, or do it, you know, do whatever the job is. Well, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to have to motivate them to get out there and do that. Are they going to do it with a smile on their face? Are they going to do it? And they're just going to be cursing under, under their breath. Mm-hmm. They've got a bad attitude. Now that reflects on your customers. It's like a chain effect. How, so you want to be able to develop your people to a point where you're doing that, where you're actually motivating them and they want to come to work. They have a purpose. If you have a vision yeah. and you pass that vision on to your people and they have a purpose they know they have a purpose. They love coming to work and they know what the corresponding impact is and they can't wait to go make that impact, not just for the company, but for themselves. You know what I love about this content, Doug? You're, here you are and as a subject matter expert. You get called in to consult and to train on these communication issues. And as I, as I probe to find out, okay, what are the core principles? Doug, the things that you're coming up with have to do with being a decent human being. It has to do with connecting with the human element. And and don't treat people like like numbers or like employees or like management, but treat them like people. Correct. The story that you shared earlier where you had a choice point. What do you think about your commander? Uh, you got to make a choice. And if you have to err, err on the side of compassion. 
err on the side of, of giving someone the opportunity to just be a human being who has a unique set of a unique set of skills and attributes that contribute in rich ways to the team. And what I'm hearing from you is, hey, that's at the core of effective communication and not just communication, but leadership and influence. Absolutely. You have to, it's all, you're building relationships with these people. Yes. And we, we don't have a, we don't have a time stamp on us that says expired on. Like you go into the grocery store. Best buy. <laughs> exactly. You know, used by, you know, best uh -huh. used by date, right? You, but you, and you kind of have to look at that with your employees. You don't know, mm -hmm. you know, if you let them go, oh, well, you know, maybe their salary was a little too high. What was the value they were bringing to you? Have you thought about that? Have you mm -hmm. looked at those things? Right. You know, and establish the relationships with your people, know their strengths and know their weaknesses and play to their strengths. If you had, say, 10 workers in a, in a section in a company, mm -hmm. you had 10 workers, you get 10 different sets of strengths. Play to their strengths. You can minimize their weaknesses because the other people, as they move in, everyone's strengths are going to play to the other person's weaknesses. Once you do that, you have a whole bunch of uh, this is why we form team, team members, right? Exactly. That's exactly where you were going with that. It's a, yep. That's what comprises your team. Yep. Of course, you've got weaknesses. Well, other people have strengths in that area, and your strengths are going to help to cover their weaknesses. I love that. You know, as you were sharing this also, Doug, it triggered in me a little mantra that I sometimes use when I'm when I'm doing leadership trainings. And one of it, so it goes like this: people before problems but still problems. In other words, you got to deal with problems. I know you can appreciate this coming from your military background. There are problems that have to be solved. We can't ignore that. But the people come before the problems, and then you're still going to deal with the problems. Or relationships before rules, but still rules. There's a lot of pretty strict rules in the military, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. And you know that that's, you brought up a good point. When you look at the the relationships, when I made that decision, when I was asked about you know my chief, mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, to be a good leader, you have to sometimes be a good follower. It's not blind loyalty, but it's knowing that that person was there with me, and that we have given everything we've got. Yes. You yes. have to understand that. And that's, and you know, a lot of that loyalty was built because I had seen the hard work he was also putting in. You know, I could not turn my back on that. Mm -hmm. Which is a very compassionate human thing to do. And I'm getting that that is really at the core of effective communication, a compassion, that humility. Some you, know, of you, you wouldn't think that those are high-level communication skills, but apparently they are. They are on many different planes. I also think, you know, when you build that trust, you were talking about the, you know, the problems. Mm -hmm. You're always still going to have the problem. 
And I yeah. think one of the things I also like to do when I go in is if you guys have problems, you know, how are you bringing this about finding a solution? How do you find those solutions? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we just go into a meeting room, the managers, and have you talk to the people, train mm-hmm. them. Don't bring me a problem without a solution. Without if a you, sol- now, if you don't know, you just can't figure out a solution. Okay. Then we'll address it, but yeah. come to us, try to get us a solution and we'll go with it. And if it is a great solution and it does some really awesome things for your company, maybe increase your profitability cut back on uh, cost for something that you were doing previously, you know, give the due recognition. Yes. Powerful concepts. Doug, you speak and you give trainings and you've got some resources available for people. Um, As we wrap up our, our conversation today, let's make sure that people know where to find you. Where's the best place for them to, to find Doug Ward. I would say if you're on LinkedIn, Douglas Ward. Uh, okay. Look me up on LinkedIn. And then my uh, website is anchorstrategiesllc.com. And I basically try to go in and, and help help companies figure out if they've got a toxic issue, mm-hmm. if they've got management issues. Sometimes the managers just weren't trained. You know, you right. can't take people and put them into management and you haven't trained them. And then when they fail, now you're pointing the finger at them. And yeah. you've got to have some compassion and the foresight to get them into some type of training. Yeah. And I like to do some different things with managers where I build them into a team, but I also let the, you know, the corporate suite know, okay, this is the type of training they're going to go through. This is what you're going to get back. They are going to push back on you a little bit when it comes to making key decisions in the company. And the reason why they're going to do that is they're the ones at the ground level getting the ground truth. Yes. That is your team. Exactly. (laughs) Folks, if he can do it with special operations forces, he might be able to make a difference in your company organization as well. Doug, thank you so much for joining me at Live On Purpose Radio today. Hey, no problem, Dr. Paul. Nice being here. You've now heard it. It's time to implement it. Let's all go live on purpose.